Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHayes. I'm obsessed with all things business and fitness. I left my career as a TV reporter, followed my dreams, and created a multiple six-figure online coaching business in just one year. Now I'm sharing my strategy with you. Oh, and we'll keep it real, discussing mindset, money, and hardship to help you build the life of your dreams. So grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. Again, welcome to the Taylor Living Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. All right, you guys. So today I'm super excited to talk about personality types, Enneagram types. Y'all know that I'm always joking about my Virgo Enneagram 3 type A brain. And so I have somebody on here. We've got Jen Whitmer on here today, who's actually a pro at conflict resolution, using your personality types and your Enneagram type to your advantage in your leadership skills and your coaching skills. And so I'm not going to even say anything else because Jen's here to give you the magic. So (laughs) Jen, I would love for you to kind of give me just an introduction, a background of what you do and just how you kind of got into this. Oh, yes. Well, it's a long and twisted tale. But the Spark Notes version is I was an educator for 20 years and I loved doing that work. And then I became a faculty leader. And so I loved coaching teachers. I loved doing professional development and training and um, and and training the leaders and, and training the trainers. And I loved doing that work and um, just had a really great organizational culture. And then we had a new leader come in that really devastated a culture with his lack of skill, um, some of his own personal issues. And it was just devastating. I mean, it, it completely destroyed a culture. And one of the main symptoms was conflict. And so I was really digging in on how do we resolve this conflict well, had some training about it. And because it was so damaging, at the same time, I was re-exploring the Enneagram. I was first introduced to the Enneagram in college, but I was very into Myers-Briggs because it made a lot of sense and it was fun. And the Enneagram had big, scary words like lust and gluttony and pride. And nobody wants to talk about those things when you're 18. And (laughs) so I put that aside. Um, And so I was rediscovering, sorry, I was rediscovering the Enneagram and really seeing how it was creating a sense of healing for me, understanding myself, understanding my role and responsibility in the conflict, understanding why this was so painful. It would have been damaging anyway, but what were the particular pain points for me? And then how to get out. And that's one of the things I loved about the Enneagram. The Myers-Briggs showed me how I did things. Strengths Finders showed me what I was good at. But the Enneagram showed me why I was doing those things and a way out. So that's how I really dug in. So I began doing speaking and and really training people on how to use, how to do better conflict resolution, how to communicate better with each other, to create environments and leaders that were healthy and people could come together as humans because we're not working with robots <laughs> and how to do connected, powerful work in the world. We've all got stuff to do and we bring our whole selves to that. And the Enneagram helped tie all those things together. So that's how I started uh, training and coaching and and speaking. So that's the, there's the Spark Notes version. <laughs> I think you've said that a few times, right? 
Uh-huh. That's kind of how I am. It's like when somebody asks, you know, what do you do? It's like you have the version that you used to say years ago and then the condensed version of like, let me just spit this out for you. Um, <laughs> no, but that's so interesting to me. And, and I find so often now, especially somebody, you know, I'm very open in my background, not being traditional coaching, right? But I've always had a knack for it and fitness has always been in my background. And so I want to kind of know, like, when did you officially make that pivot? Um, how mm. long have you been coaching specifically with personality types for conflict, conflict resolution and things of that nature? Yeah. Well, when I was a faculty leader, I was in charge of the Myers-Briggs training and we used that in our faculty coaching. So I always did that type of professional development, one-on-one small group work with teachers. And then when I left that organization, I started my certification process in the Enneagram. So it's been about three and a half years of, um, that type of work. I was studying it before. Um, What I keep discovering about the Enneagram is that it is forever deeper, um, that it's just this wisdom tool that just kind of keeps on coming. But for the purposes of my own business and really launching out in a way that wasn't underneath somebody else's leadership, just my own, that's been about three and a half years. Okay, perfect. Um, So... (laughs) I say this, jokes aside, but it's so true. I find that there's so many people that – two things. They either place blame on how they are, like they have a fixed mindset on how they are based on personality types, which to me is not a super coachable mindset, right? Or they think personality tests are just complete BS and they're like, no, 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 not for me, right? So I want to debunk that, both of those things really. And I would love to talk about how the Enneagram test – really does lead to more self-awareness. And before we dive into the coaching aspect later, just like on a personal level, how can we learn more about us? Yeah. I love this question for so many reasons. One is I get to talk about how the Enneagram isn't a test. The Enneagram is a framework. It is a way to look at here is how I approach the world. So we all, personality develops so we can make sense of the world. That's, it's just a part of who we are. And when we're young and it's the stories we create, the meaning to make sense of what's happening around us. And then as we grow up, some of those meanings become really unhelpful. And we start living in a reality that is, like you said, this fixed mindset. I'm like, oh, this is the way I am. This is always the way I'm going to be. But really, we have this power to understand why this is motivating me in this way. So the Enneagram framework helps us see that we look at the world in a specific way. We have very clear motivations. Well, they're not clear to us at the time, but they're distinct. (laughs) We have distinct motivations if we're willing to dig at what's underneath all of these thoughts, all of our feelings, all of our behaviors and actions, and that it helps us see what that is so we can then start to change some of our behaviors. If I know that I am looking at a beautiful blue pool and I put on yellow glasses and something, I'm like, what is wrong with the pool? Why is the pool green? There is a problem. But if I know that I'm wearing yellow glasses, I'm like, oh, that's just my glasses. What are What's another way I can get information? What's another way I can approach this? And it becomes curiosity rather than shame or fixed mindset or Um, just a number of other things that we find unhelpful when we look at personality. So that's how I like to explain the Enneagram. It's that deep why I'm doing what I'm doing. 
What are those deep fears that are really motivating? It's like all these motivations are on a bus and one of them is driving and the Enneagram helps you figure out who's driving the bus. So in this, this is kind of an off the, you know, off the wall question, but is there a client you've worked with? I'm sure many, honestly, but is there like a certain instance or situation where, you know, somebody was really having a hard time with maybe emotional intelligence or breaking through with their clients because they were holding themselves back? Is there like a breakthrough moment that you can kind of share with us to give us a, kind of more of a specific example of, you know, this is how this client was of mine and realizing X, Y, and Z now blank problem is solved, right? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think about one of my clients who was wanting to be a speaker and a coach herself. And she had another full-time job in at a university and she was working. And as we dug into the Enneagram, really discovering her type. So I know we haven't gone through all of the types yet, but they're numbered. And so she was a type two. And she was starting to realize how much of her life revolved around making sure everybody else felt good. Everybody else is feeling is feeling good. And so if they feel good, then they like me and then I have value. And she started to recognize this trap. And she told this great story as I was, we were coaching her through. She's like, I was sitting, I was avoiding thinking about myself because I was scared of taking that next step. And I was sitting in my bathtub and thinking about one of her friends had had a, a something happen at their house. And she's like, oh, I wonder if they could move in with their aunt because their aunt lives down the street and they have this many bedrooms in their house. And like she started planning out how these other people that she's not related to could move into their relative's house in order to solve their problem. And she's like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? I'm totally avoiding my own thoughts and feelings because I want to make sure other people are okay, which to an element, I mean, to an extent, that's great, but at the, at the detriment of her own health and business. And so I think that was just a great story of where she, we had talked about it enough that her desire to always make sure everyone else was okay, was really damaging to her and what she wanted to do. And so I think that's a great example of how the Enneagram showed her fear of not being liked or the fear of being rejected coming out in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect until you start connecting those dots and really noticing your inner thought life and your inner emotions. No, perfect. That was beautiful. And and I think that people, I'm the, I'm the kind of person that, you know, when I have the big picture, I'm like, okay, but now I need the teeny tiny details. Maybe that's like a personality trait of, of the E3, like, right? I don't know. But I need like, I need to know the things. Um, no, but that was helpful. That was helpful. Um, and so now I know you have a, 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 you know, Cliff Notes version of this too, but let's go over the Enneagram types because, you know, this is actually something that I started implementing probably six months ago, where when somebody applies to work with me for business coaching, um, I ask what their Enneagram type is. And sometimes people are like, you know, I'm a this with a wing this. And I'm like, all right, you know. And there's people that are like, I don't know what this test is, right? And so I think, you know, again, talking about how important it is to really know yourself better, this isn't just some silly personality test. It really can be so helpful. So tell us a little bit about 
all of the types and, and hopefully people can kind of self-identify listening to this. Yeah. So yeah, I always, when people are like, what is this word that you are saying? Ennea what? And so the Enneagram is, as I said, a personality framework that shows us why. And the types are numbered from one to nine. So if you imagine a clock and, and nine is at the 12 o'clock space on a clock. So I know this is a podcast. You can't see my hands, but they're in a circle. <laughs> and you um, they are in a circle, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so if you think about the nine being in that 12 o'clock spot, that envisions all the rest of the numbers. And we're actually going to go one tick over and start with the eights. And I like to start with the eights for a few different reasons. And one is because I think eights get a bad rap. And the other is eights are like, give it to me now. They want to know. And so we're going to start with you guys. <laughs> and so each type has a core fear and a way of approaching the world. And so I'm giving you this I like to call it the tapas menu. Uh, like I'm giving you a little taste and you may identify and go, oh crap, how did she know that about me? And that might be your type. Or you might go, gosh, there are several of these that apply to me. Which one is mine? And so back to that bus analogy, sometimes it takes some time to figure out which one's driving your bus. Uh, so we're gonna start with the eights. Enneagram eights are really deeply afraid of being controlled. And so they are making sure that they are stepping out to control things first. So in order to not be betrayed, that they don't want to be controlled. Everything comes back to that for Enneagram eights. They're really intense people. They are amazing leaders. They are in, uh, in their element, super healthy, get things done. And when they're not, they can be abrupt and short and damaging to others because their fear of being controlled ends up them controlling other people. And that can be where they get off track. But again, when they're healthy, it's amazing what they can lead and do. And then we move back to the top, to the nines. And Enneagram nines, if eights have the most amount of energy, nines have the least amount of energy. So nines show up in the world trying to control what's outside of them and trying to control what's inside of them all at the same time, which is exhausting. And they deeply fear conflict. So they want to be heard. But also if I share my opinion, then we might become in a conflict and then I might lose connection with you. And so I'm just going to pull back, but then my voice isn't heard and I don't want to, I don't like that feeling. So, but if I share this emotion, do you see, are you exhausted yet? And so that's the inner world of the nine. And so they can, when they're healthy, really see all sides of a story. They genuinely can see different perspectives and come up with great solutions that other people can really all agree on. And when they're not healthy, they just withdraw and we and they don't engage. And that can be their downfall. And so always encouraging nines to engage in the world. And then we move to the ones. And any room ones are the reforming perfectionists. And they're always trying to make things better. And so they're trying to control themselves in a way that makes things right and good because they're deeply afraid of being wrong. Not I'm wrong and you're right, but like in out of alignment with what is right, some external standard of right. And they've got this internal critic that is always telling them how bad and how terrible and just berating them, almost a, an abusive voice in their head that they have to deal with all the time, which can be very exhausting. So when Enneagram ones really struggle, that critical nature comes out of them because that's what they're hearing. And they've been arguing so long with their inner critic, what they're giving you is like 10%. So why are you upset? And so, but when they're healthy, they really help us make the world an amazingly better place because they're always wanting to 
to go for that what's good and right. And so then we move to Enneagram twos and Enneagram twos are the, the givers, the helpers of the Enneagram and their fear is being rejected. And so their way to cope with that, to get their needs met and deal with the shame of rejection is by helping other people. Well, if I earn my love, then you will help me. And that means I don't have to, if I don't have needs because if I have needs, then I'm a problem. And that's where that shame cycle starts for them. So when they're healthy, oh my gosh, they are the people who will lie in the road for you and willingly and freely. When they are not healthy, they're the people who will lie in the road for you and say, don't you see me lying in the road? Can't you tell that I'm, I'm doing this for you? And it can it can cause a lot of martyrdom and, and problems for other people in their own and rejecting their own needs in order to pr- do everything for everyone else to the detriment of everyone involved. So those are the twos. Enneagram threes are the walking motivational posters of the Enneagram. (laughs) They are the achievers and their strategy is to have success so they have worth. That's how they combat shame. And so as a way to say that I have significance and I have validity, I am going to be the best. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to get the goal. I'm going to give the next success. And what's great about that is they encourage other people to do the same thing. They're fantastic goal setters. They show us these amazing ways of you can probably do more than you think you can. (laughs) And I always joke that Enneagram threes are probably the people during the pandemic that started a new business and were like, yeah, and I had like 10,000 followers. It was amazing. I don't know. (laughs) And they've just moved on. (laughs) And uh, so when they're healthy, they just encourage all of us to do great and wonderful things. And when they're not healthy, they are hustling for their worth in a way that they will never achieve because that standard of success is always outside of them and not authentic to who they are. And so when they get healthy, they start to discover what is my true definition of worth and success rather than what does the world tell me that I should be. And then Enneagram fours, they are the romantic individualists and they are creating, they are making space, they're creating art, they're creating rooms. I always joke that absolutely an Enneagram four is the person who coined the term, I'm going to hold space for this because they create space all the time because they are afraid of being emotionally isolated. So if I am emotionally isolated from you because their emotional world is such a huge part of them, then they're they don't have connection and they struggle with envy in this way that, oh my gosh, I wouldn't, I'm never going to have what that other person has. So when they're not healthy, they're like, I can never get there. I'm always missing out. So I'm going to be the most unique thing that I could possibly be to see if I can generate that thing that I think I'm missing. And when they are healthy, they're amazing contributors to the world and really teach us a lot about authenticity and living in your values. And they're very strong about knowing their their own selves and setting really clear boundaries and having a great, healthy emotional life and all those things when they're healthy, they lead us into that. And then we move to Enneagram fives. So the fives are, these are the people that are thinking and they're thinking about stuff and then they're thinking about more stuff and they're thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. (laughs) And uh, they are observers. They are watching and strategizing. And what they are afraid of is lack of knowledge. What if I don't 
no, because knowing is the way that I feel comfortable in the world. And so if I don't know, if I am incompetent or ignorant, I don't have value and I am afraid of that. And so <laughs> I had this happen to me once in a club room, clubhouse room. I always say that, P, I mean, Enneagram fives are the PhDs that are like, I'm not an expert. And then I had a PhD in a clubhouse room say that, well, I'm not an expert in the very thing the room was about. Um, <laughs> it was, it's so funny, but that's how they have this competing interest of, I know I'm never going to get to the end of the knowledge, except I want to be an expert in the knowledge. And, and so it's this, this competing interest for them. And that can be really exhausting. And so they have a measured amount of energy every day. And so if nines have the least fives have this, like I wake up with 65% battery every day. And that's what I can do because I have to know. And if you need me, what if I don't know? And then I have to manage that energy. It's this, it's this cycle for the five. And then we move to Enneagram sixes and Enneagram sixes deal with the fear of safety and security. And what if I am physically or emotionally abandoned in some way? What if I am left without community, without context? And so they're always preparing. So that does not happen. So either physically preparing like the kid who shows up in, at college with every kind of post-it note, three pens, a sharpener, an extra battery pack, you know, all those kind of things to decision planning. Like if they say this, I'll say this, well, this could happen. So I'm going to have these things ready to go. Like they have plan triple Z in their mind before anybody's ever done anything. And it's because what if I'm not prepared, then I won't be safe. Then I, and they're afraid of that safety and anxiety. So they struggle with a lot of angst, not necessarily clinical anxiety, but a lot of angst where they're thinking through all those things all the time. So we talked about ones having that internal critic. Enneagram sixes have like an internal committee and they have these competing voices that they struggle sometimes to know, did I make the right decision? Like we all struggle with that, but that is a big question for sixes all the time. And when they're healthy, they learn that they really do make great decisions in context and help other people see that. And that's a really powerful gift for them. And then the Enneagram sevens. And we end with the sevens because they get real excited and go away. So if they... <laughs> but they're so curious. They stay to the end. And so Enneagram sevens are like the enthusiastic visionaries. They are looking toward what's next and they're planning into the future, the next exciting thing that will fill them up because they are afraid of missing out, which underneath that is afraid of being limited and afraid of pain. And so I am avoiding pain by filling up with this new and exciting idea, this new exciting music, this activity, this book, this piece of food, this whatever it is. It's like, I'm going to avoid the pain by doing this thing. And so when they're not healthy, they can get down a, a a track of avoiding pain so much they never deal with it and it can be really painful but when they're when they're healthy it's they're amazing visionaries who kind of just bring the fun to different places and can and really see how to hold the bitter and the sweet together and really help us do that when they see that the way through the pain is the way to joy and and that's their gift that they can bring so those are the nine types in the super fast version around the circle. Super fast, but also very, very insightful. And I was reminded once again that I am definitely a three. So <laughs> you did laugh quite a bit when I was saying that. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I was trying to be quiet though. So you guys didn't hear me. Um, well, so you I feel just, really seen when you go I through feel the Enneagram. So yeah, I feel so seen. Do So I'm just wondering, what what's your type? 
I'm an Enneagram seven. Okay. Is there like a, a trend with like who people tend to flock to, right? Like when it comes to friend groups, things of that nature. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there is, but like there are lots of. So the first thing I will say is any number can get along with any number in a marriage, in a business partnership, and there are always going to be predictable benefits and predictable liabilities to each one of those combinations. So hear that up front. Everybody can get along with everybody else. I think there are a lot of commonalities um, when different types of people get together. And it's it's fascinating sometimes. I see a lot of twos and fives together and a lot of um, fours and eights, which is a really interesting combo. Lots of nine, sixes, and threes. Nine in the Enneagram symbol, again, you can't see me, but in the circle, there is a triangle in the middle of the circle that connects the nine, the six, and the three. And we call that the three, six, nine train. And they share a lot of commonalities in the way they approach life and um, the way they move when they're stressed or when they're feeling really secure and are growing. And so there's a lot of um, those groups together because they almost recognize things in each other. Um, I see a lot of sevens and fours together too, and a lot of sevens and ones. There's all kinds of different combinations, but I think in the online business space, what we're drawn to the most are people who are confident in who they are and are willing to share who they are with other people. Because even if it's not exactly my stuff, like if I share my stuff, that book by Laura Tremaine, I love share my, share your stuff. I'll go first. But if I share my real, my realness with you, people are drawn to just that. And so I think that knowing who you are helps you share who you really are. And I talk about that all the time, right? Like See? you can have the best, you can have the best offer on the planet. I don't care what kind of coaching you're doing, but if people cannot connect with you and vibe with you, you will never sell, right? Absolutely. So I'm glad that you said that. Um, so before we dive too deep into coaching, you know, I do want to ask you, I know you said everybody can get along with everybody, but um, what are some ways to use your Enneagram type? And I'm sure that this translates into coaching, but um, into building stronger friendships to resolving conflict in your personal life and relationships and whatnot. Oh, all of the things. Those are all the things I talk about. So I'll try to be brief. Uh, no, never think- try to be brief. <laughs> Well, we could be here for days is what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, will, I won't I will do that to you. But I think the biggest thing is knowing who you are. So I want you to imagine a grid. Clearly, I'm a visual teacher. Um, <laughs> I want you to imagine a grid. And you've got in this upper right-hand corner something that is what's known to you and known to everybody else. So if y'all been listening to this podcast for 20 minutes, you figured out I laugh. I kind of talk real fast and I get excited about things. Those things are pretty clear to everybody. I know them and you know them. They're not hidden from anyone. And so we call that open. And this technical term for this whole thing is called a Jahari window. So if we move over from what is known to everybody else, but hidden from you, that's a blind spot. And that's something that you can engage in asking questions for other people because they see it in you. And that's another form of creating relationships and understanding, oh, this is what you see in me that I don't see. We all have that blind spot. But if you go down to that left corner to what is known to you, but hidden from others, that's a facade. And so we always are trying to move toward open. We're always trying to go toward, I know this about me and you know this about me, because when everything's on the table, we can do something about it. And it actually 
increases our connection and tightens our relationship. So the way to get from that facade to openness is self-disclosure. Just like we were just talking about, here's what's real about me. You may not see this, but this is what I'm thinking on the inside. And then we've got this hidden window where it's hidden from everybody else and it's hidden from you. And that's where the Enneagram can really support us. So we move from understanding the Enneagram is showing me, oh, I'm I'm really acting out of this pain avoidance or I'm really acting out of I need to hustle for my worth. And then now it's not hidden from me anymore, but it is hidden from other people. And so then I can connect and say, hey, this is what's happening for me on the inside. And then once you get patterned, like you start to notice your patterns, You're like, oh, here it is again. It's coming around the Ferris wheel. I'm doing that thing again where I'm avoiding pain. I don't want to pick up the phone because what if the pain of disappointment is too great or whatever it is? Um, you know, all of that that happens in our businesses, you start to recognize it faster. And the the Enneagram has all kinds of layers about how we approach relationships in are we moving toward people? Are we moving away from people? Are we running our own show and being independent? There's conflict coping styles. Are we the type of people that are really reactive? Are you the type of person that puts your emotions in a little box and I'm gonna be competent in this? Or are you the type of person who runs away from conflict? And I'm just gonna, it's fine. There's no problem, there's not a conflict. And even just that quick sentence, you can probably go, oh yeah, I'm I'm that reactive person or I'm the person that is going to be really competent. And if you were in a friendship or a business relationship with somebody who is reactive and you are the, which I call the dynamites and you are somebody who is silver linings, well, it's all okay. Immediately knowing that changes your posture and like, okay, you're approaching this differently than I do. I am. So how can we come together? Here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what you're afraid of. And then we can start talking about that. So I think all of it comes back to moving things toward open to what's hidden from me, what's known to you and known to me and the self-awareness to be able to know what's known to me and sharing it with other people. And one of the things that I think causes the most amount of growth using the Enneagram is that it allows us to be ruthlessly, ruthlessly self-honest. This is really deep and generously self-compassionate. This is genuinely how I see the world. So if we can compare, combine ruthless self-honesty and generous self-compassion, then how much more can we extend that to other people, which creates deep, safe, vulnerable relationships where everybody can grow and thrive? No, beautifully said. I I think that, um, you know, there's something that I always say to my coaches because something that I do as a fitness business coach is not only do I help my clients just like start and scale, build their businesses, but I also help them coach their clients um, because I still have a full roster of fitness clients as well. And, you know, sometimes people will, when they're newer to coaching or haven't been doing it as long, they'll have an issue and they can't solve it. And more than, more than likely, it's not really a nutritional, uh, kind of an issue. It's more of like a coaching style. And so I, I think instead of saying Enneagram type, I typically say, well, I want you to find your coach's love language, if you will. And I don't mean like the five love languages. I just mean everybody needs a little different kind of love shown, right? People Mm -hmm. react to different um, responses and not everybody 
will respond to the same coaching. Like you've been even mentioning, like, I'm a visual teacher. Can you tell, right? Like everybody needs something different. Everybody learns different, grows differently. So I think that that's very helpful. Um, so when it comes to becoming a better coach, becoming a better leader, you know, being transparent is one thing, but more than more than not, that development discovery is going to happen behind the scenes first, right? We're not going to say, hey, clients, just so you guys know, I'm working on myself. I'm working on my coaching, right? Like, so what is kind of like the step, um, like the first step into becoming more vulnerable with yourself. I think a lot of times our mm. egos get in the way because we are coaches and we should know more, right? Like, and I think we hold ourselves to these high expectations. Um, and so what is kind of your coaching process for getting people to get to know themselves a little bit better? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think specifically for your audience, for the people that are listening as coaches, one of my business pillars is that I lead myself before I can lead anybody else. So I can't take you where I'm not willing to go. And if I'm not willing to have coaching myself, then why would I expect you to submit to coaching? If I'm not willing to ask myself hard questions and be really honest, then why would I expect you to be honest from when I ask you hard questions? So I think there's that posture as well, that I lead myself before anyone else. And part of, you do learn self-coaching, but... And I think that is a process of internal observation. And I do two really, I do this practice in two different ways. That's a better way to say that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and it's not an original practice, but I like to use SNAP. So it is stop, notice, ask, pivot. So we're going to go through that. And so when you stop, you know, when you get, you realize you're riled up or you realize you're avoiding or you just notice that something isn't right. I'm not having the impact I want. I'm not able to get here. I'm angry. You know, some something happens that and just stop and genuinely breathe three deep breaths. Just stop. And then notice what am I actually feeling? What, what is the emotion that is around this? Am I disappointed? Am I angry? Am I apprehensive? Am I in contempt? Am I discouraged? Do I feel wounded? What am I actually feeling? And there's probably a few emotions that go in there. I actually have a list of 120 emotions that I have out on a wall so I can start to label those really accurately. Because research shows that when we accurately label our emotions, that's how we begin emotional regulation and how we process through them appropriately and healthy. And so asking us, what am I feeling? And then what's the story behind that? At asking yourself, what am, what is this story? What am I believing that is causing that emotion? The emotion's not wrong or bad, but I'm believing something that's causing that. So what am I believing? What would happen if I didn't believe that? What would I do differently? What, what belief could I put in there? And start to ask yourself those types of questions. And then the pivot is make the change. Go back into the situation. Go just pick up the phone and there's all kinds of strategies in the pivot section, but getting used to doing that practice of stopping it, we think it's going to take 10 minutes. It usually takes 90 seconds. I'm going to stop. I'm going to notice what's happening around me. What's this, what's the situation? What am I feeling? Ask myself, what am I feeling? And what's the story I'm believing? And what would happen if I changed that story? 
and then create a different action. That's the pivot. And I, you can do that in the moment, but I also think it's a great weekly practice. What has happened to me over the past week? What am I noticing? What's the pattern that I'm seeing? And I, when we do that, we start to have this reflective practice that actually moves us forward. Like that is how you can start to dig into leading yourself as a coach and then helping your clients do the same. Yeah, that's a very, that's a very, um, I guess the acronym to me is like, a, is very helpful, right? Because you think mm-hmm. about those things. And just like I tell all of my clients to, you know, do like a weekly audit of their coaching styles or their engagement on social or whatever it happens to be, right? Like people need to also self audit on just themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And that's very, very helpful. And I think that inner work is something that people often avoid or think that, oh, I'm fine, you know, and, and I, I don't think that we're ever done, right? Like I, there's yeah. always something to, to work on. Um, amazing. So I did, I did want to ask you because I just have to know, like, this is just me, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I would love, I would love some Enneagram three coaching advice. Like what is, what is something that I'm sure you work with so many people of all different types, but I would just love to know, um, some sticking points and also some solves from you that would be helpful. Yeah. So some general, because I don't know what's going on in your specific life. And so every Enneagram 3, even though you're motivated by the same thing, has their own stuff. So I'm kind of predicting a little bit what might be your pitfalls. So one of the the powers of Enneagram 3s is that goal setting, is I know not even smart goals, smarter goals, like they're all the way in it and all the way broken down and achieving that. And that is they're also really great at getting things done fast. Like the efficiency level of an Enneagram three is off the charts. Um, They highly value it, but it's also because that's the fastest way to the goal. That's the fastest way to have that hit of almost dopamine of I did it, I achieved it, that's my worth, and now I can go on. And so the efficiency is so important to them, which is great for those of us who can spin in circles, who are like, I don't know where I'm going. You can like take a mess of groceries on the, on the table and be like, okay, here are the beans. Here's this, here's this, there's this. Boop, okay. <laughs> and you can organize it really quickly, which is a great power. The, the pressure of the Enneagram three is being so far in the future that they can forget to do what needs to happen now. That can be a pressure. A deep pressure of the three is to have to do it all on your own. There's sometimes there can be shame that comes from asking for help as if that means that my success wasn't actually earned. I didn't actually achieve it if I had to ask for help, which is, I'm just going to say a lie from the pit of hell because there is nobody who does stuff on their own. We're not designed that way. That's not how humans work. We operate in community and threes can have a real pressure to get it done and get it done fast because that's where they're getting their worth. So paying attention to, I can't outsource this. I have to do this by myself. I have to get this done before I can do anything else because it's the thing that is the thing that's going to get me worth and start leaning into what are my values? What is my value here? And if this is my value, what is the priority action? So if my value is my family or my value is supporting this client or my value is whatever the value is, leaning into that authenticity rather than appearing as if I have made that value a thing, 
so the persona looks good. So those are the, the pressures for the Enneagram three. So I don't know if any of those hit home for you. What are you thinking about that? Yeah. So I will say I am like probably the queen of outsourcing. If I can outsource mm-hmm. it, I will. Um, I think as my career paths have changed, it's a little bit different, right? Because when I was in TV, the doing it by myself meant I had a higher chance of I don't know, having a great story, winning an Emmy, something like that, right? However, building a business, there's no way in hell you can do that on mm-hmm. your own, especially if you're trying to build and scale, right? And I always I always joke with my clients that your business should not be your baby, but it should be your machine. And to create mm-hmm. a well-oiled machine, you need people running things, right? Yeah. So that I will say in this instance, I feel like that has been taken care of. But my issue is I'm always thinking – um, and I've gotten better, but you know, I will do this. I will treat myself when X is achieved. But of course my tendency is like, well, when X is achieved, I'm like, now what? Now what? Right. right? And mm-hmm. I'm always thinking seven steps in the future, which is a blessing, but I have a very hard time about, you know, celebrating the wins along the way and really just Absolutely. sitting with, you know, whatever the success is or I know mm-hmm. no matter how small it is, I think that, oh, it, I mean, yeah. Okay, cool. Like I was going to do that anyway, but like now we got to go to the next step. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the pressure for Enneagram threes is, is that back to that idea of hustling for your worth, that you are a human being, not a human doing, that your value doesn't come from your achievements. It comes from because you exist and that you are doing your good work in the world and the work isn't what gives you achievement. It's you being a person. You being a person is what gives you worth. And so being really careful in that. Yeah. What's next? Yeah, I did that, but what's next? And so it's this vicious cycle of, I have to achieve. So I have worth, but then I'm going to dismiss my own achievement because it wasn't big enough because it's addictive. Like you're going to the next big thing. And so starting a practice, one of the things I work on Enneagram threes is a real genuine pausing practice. Um, for at least once a day for two or three minutes. doesn't have to be long, but just that um, pausing from doing can be really valuable for the three. And it, to say, what is my value? Not as, because any of your threes can read the room. They're like, oh, here's the, here's the person who has the most influence in the room. Here's how the room is feeling. And I'm going to adjust to make this room think I am successful. And that separates you from your inner values and authenticity. And so that pause throughout the day brings you back to that center. And the other practice that's really valuable for threes is learning how to use solitude to acknowledge yourself because y'all get the medals and the awards and the accolades from other people, but backing away into solitude and saying, I did do that and acknowledging myself for that. And it is enough is an important practice for threes. And so sometimes just writing that down, even three things at the end of the day. And if the end of the day is too much, start it once a week. What are three things I did this week that I'm proud of myself for and acknowledging it? That starts to build that I don't have to have success so everybody else thinks I'm successful. I can have success based on what I value and what's authentic to me. I love that. Yep. No, those are those are all great tips. And I say that because it's funny. We attract 
you know, who we are a lot of the times. And I think oh, a, lot a, lot of of my, a lot of my clients are threes, right? So no, a lot of online business owners are threes. Like it's I a know. huge. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It's a lot going on and we're all trying to face the next thing. Um, so that was very, very helpful. So um, just tell us a little bit more about, you know, um, where we can find you. I'm, I'm obviously linking your Instagram below so people can find you on Instagram. But um, if people want to possibly work with you or take an Enneagram test or, or just learn more, tell me. Tell me how we can utilize you, Jen. Absolutely. So yes, come play on Instagram. Let me know. Here's my challenge for you. If you listen to this podcast, come find me on Instagram and tell me if any one of those numbers resonated with you. Either that you already know your number and here is what you thought, or I didn't know my number and here's what I'm thinking. So come DM me and let me know because I always love to hear what people think about that. So I play the most on Instagram and LinkedIn and I'm in those spaces sharing a lot of information about conflict resolution, about communication, about the Enneagram musicals, Ted Lasso, my family. Um, I have four kids. They are a riot most days and <laughs> some days, not every day. And so that's what you'll, that's the, that's the page. That's what you're getting. And I would love to support people. So I, you can work with me in two or three different ways. So I do a lot of training and speaking. So if you want to bring me in for your team, if you want to bring me in for an event that you're doing, I would love to talk to you about that. And I talk about like I said, conflict resolution, leadership, and the Enneagram. And then if you want group coaching experience, I have the Catalyst Leadership Lab. And the Catalyst Leadership Lab is live group coaching, going through your leadership style, your the skills that you need as a leader, the practices that you need to avoid burnout and to be effective, and how your Enneagram type influences all of those things. And then I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So all of those, you can find me at jenwhitmer.com slash freebies. You can get that 120 emotion list. You can book some time to chat with me about any of those things. You can find, if this is the first time you've ever heard of the Enneagram, there is a page there called, Why Do I Keep Doing This? Which has all the core motivation spelled out a lot more than I did today on the podcast. So jenwitmer.com slash freebies is where you can get all the all the goods and uh, explore there. Amazing. Good. And I, uh, I'll i be utilizing you too, especially for some group coaching for, for some of my clients. So I love that. Um, well, Jen, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Great to talk to you too. I want to give you a virtual high five for finishing another episode of the Tailored Living Podcast. If you're looking for a community of badass go-getters to bounce ideas and answer questions, join my exclusive goal-getter community on Facebook. The link's waiting for you on Instagram. Until next time, bye y'all.